morning. Good to see all of you who are here in person this morning. I know we've got some folks watching online as well, so good morning. Welcome to you. Um, many of you, I think, who are regular attenders here at Connect probably know a little bit of this story, but for those who are maybe visiting today or new, um, I have actually just returned. I've been gone the last three Sundays, and uh, I was gone on a uh, trek that we uh, planned uh, almost a year ago now. Uh, I joined some other pastors and leaders from around the country, and we flew out to Nepal, and uh, then we flew up into the mountains of the Himalayas, and over the course of 15 days, we hiked all the way up to the base camp of Mount Everest, and then all the way back down again. Um, I, uh, I was sharing with the folks in first service, I, I discovered when I got to Nepal and did this trek that there are some people that do this, they hike to base camp and then they get a helicopter back down. I didn't know that was an option. I, I signed up apparently for the group that hikes up and then hikes all the way back down again. So did a lot of walking. Um, but I want to make something clear here this morning because I've bumped into a few people uh, before the trip and after the trip uh, who have said, hey, heard you climbed Mount Everest. That's awesome. I did not climb Mount Everest, okay? Uh, base camp to where we hiked is 17,600 feet. The top of Mount Everest, 29,000 feet. And I want to make sure that the people who actually do climb to the top of Mount Everest get the full um, credits for that because I was not one of them. Um, it was cool because the group we were with, there were nine of us, and we had um, some guides that were with us, and uh, our main guide, the guy in charge here, his name was Lakpar Sherpa. Here is a picture of him here. And um, fascinating, really. I, I got to meet him. He grew up in Nepal. Uh, that was his home in the mountains. So he was the perfect guide to have. Uh, his last name is Sherpa because he is part of the Sherpa community, uh, the people group, the Sherpas. So everyone born into that community, their last name is Sherpa. Uh, his first name is Lakpar, which is uh, Nepali for Wednesday because he was born on Wednesday. And I guess everyone in the Sherpa community is named after the day they were born. So this is Lakpar Sherpa. Uh, it got a little bit confusing. We found out he was on Facebook. So I said, oh, I want to friend you on Facebook. So I, I looked up and there were four and a half thousand Lakpar Sherpas. So it was quite tricky to try and narrow it down because I guess there was a lot of Wednesday births. So I said, why don't you look for me and add me as a friend? Because I think otherwise we'll be here an awful long time. But despite the fact that Lakpar has grown up uh, all his life in the mountains. He himself has never been to the summit of Mount Everest. His dad was part of the, uh, the very first group of Americans in the 60s who summited Mount Everest. He was a Sherpa on that particular trip. Uh, we were walking one day on the trail and we bumped into one of his cousins. He has all sorts of relatives in the area. This is a picture of him and his cousin right there. We got to hang out with him for a little bit and chat with him. And his cousin pulled out his phone and showed us a picture, which if we zoom in on that, that is his cousin from just a couple of weeks before when we bumped into him on the trail, stood at the very top of Mount Everest. His cousin was a Sherpa that guided groups up to the top of Mount Everest. That picture is him at the top for the sixth time in his life. Six times he's gone to the top of Mount Everest and helped people get up there. So um, he had been to the top of Mount Everest. Our Sherpa, Lakpa, he had not and I have not. I got to base camp, which is uh, where most people who are climbing Mount Everest begin, and that's where Dave Jane ended. Okay, that was the, uh, the highest I was able to go. But now that I'm back, 
um, I've decided to uh, spend the next few weeks in a short series that we're calling Mountain Top Experiences. Mountain Top Experiences. Um, it's a, uh, a series based on the idea of some, some stories in the Bible that took place on mountains. And I thought, you know, having just completed my trip, that can become like some research to help me uh, uh, speak more about this subject. And uh, it's been great because as I'm preparing these messages, I'm able to pull on such a lot of uh, stories and insights of what I learned while I was in the mountains. So much so that I've decided that next year uh, we're going to do a similar series on um, some beach encounters that happened in the Bible. Uh, in preparation for that series, I plan on spending three weeks in Cancun, um, just, you know, really soaking up the research so I can just bring the best possible sermons to you uh, on that subject. But um, So one of the very first stories that we read um, of a mountaintop experience, if you start at the beginning of the Bible and work your way through, it's not long before you come in Genesis 22 to a story about Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. And we're going to read a story here in just a second about um, Abraham taking his son Isaac up a mountain and why he was doing this. Now, if you grew up going to church, you may be familiar with this story. Maybe you heard it in Sunday school as a child. Maybe uh, through your church experience, you're familiar with the story. But for those who aren't, we're going to read the whole passage today so you can kind of catch up on what this story was all about and why it was that Abraham found himself on the top of this mountain with his son, Isaac. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his servants with him and along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, and while he himself carried the fire and the knife, the two of them then walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. 
Abraham names the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. So, like I said, some of you here this morning may be familiar already with that story. You may have heard it told as a, a kid in Sunday school or maybe in church before. But let me give you a little bit of background to the story in case you're not familiar with it. So we have here Abraham, uh, his wife, Sarah. They'd been promised by God years before this that they would have a son. So they've heard God speak to them. He's made this promise that you will have this son. But years go by. Years go by and it seems that God has forgotten them. It seems that God is not gonna follow through on his promise because all these years pass by and still they've yet to have this son that God promised. And then finally, this is the crazy part, we read when Abraham was 100. Abraham's 100 years old. His wife gets pregnant and they have a son. 100 years old, that's a sermon for another day about how that happens. But at 100 years old, God's promise is fulfilled and Isaac is born. So after all of this waiting, finally, along comes this promised son. You imagine how much joy Abraham and Sarah must have experienced when finally God's promise is answered and they have this son. But this joy seems to be short-lived. Because not long after having this son, God brings this strange test to Abraham. And he tells him, now I want you to take your son Isaac and I want you to take him up to this mountain. And when you get there, you're going to sacrifice him. You're going to kill him for me. What a strange request for God to give Abraham. But Abraham complies. And from what we read in the passage we just read, it seems like Abraham was really willing to go through with it. I don't know if any of you have ever been in that situation where you kind of like do that, that fake, I'm gonna do something, I'm kind of pretend, but, but you have no intention of really doing it. Guys, if you're here, you know what I'm talking about. It's when you're at a friend's house, let's say, and they're cooking a meal or they're cleaning up after dinner and you're kind of sitting on the couch just looking over and you're like, man, I should probably help. You know, they probably need some help and nothing in you wants to help. So you do that one thing where you like start to stand up and you're like, can I help at all? Do you need any help there? And you're kind of moving because you want to give the impression that you have every intention of helping, but you're really hoping that before you reach full stand up, they'll be like, no, no, sit down. I got it. Are you sure? Okay, okay. And you sit right back down. Any, no, just me? Am I the only one who does that? I don't think that's what Abraham was doing. I don't think when Abraham was told to sacrifice his son, he was like, okay, God, I'll sacrifice my son. I'm going out now to sacrifice him. Any second now, God, I'm gonna sacrifice him. So just stop me if you need to. Now, when we read this story, listen, listen to some parts of this story. Verse three, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He's like, he couldn't wait. 
Like his alarm set, he's up at the crack of dawn because today's the day I'm gonna sacrifice my son. When it comes to the time that he's about to go through with it, listen to how the angel has to stop him in verse 10. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! It's like slow motion movie, no! You know, I mean, he, he was going through with it. This, this angel twice had to say, stop! Because Abraham, it appears from the reading, was fully intending to obey God and to sacrifice his son as he'd been asked to. But in the nick of time, at the last moment, God stopped him from doing it. And instead, God said, no, today your son will not die. God had prepared an animal Stuck nearby, a sheep, a ram, who, who instead would be sacrificed in Isaac's place. And if you know the story of the Bible as it unfolds through to the New Testament, this was a foreshadowing of what God was going to do for you and for me. Because one day, someone would come who would call himself the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Son of God, sent to this earth. And there would come a time where Jesus would face this opportunity, this, this moment where he's to be sacrificed, where he would die on a cross. And unlike the story of Abraham and Isaac where a substitution was brought in, when it was Jesus' turn, he was the substitution for you and me. Jesus died in our place. He was the Lamb of God, foreshadowed by this story in Abraham and Isaac, died in our place so that we, we don't need to fear death because we can now have a relationship with Father God because Jesus died in our place. But as we look at this story this morning of Abraham and Isaac, I wanna look in a little bit more detail because I wanna show you something here that maybe you've not seen before, something that's going on in this story that maybe before now you weren't aware of, but that has a huge impact for us this morning. It has a huge impact for us as followers of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, it has a huge impact for us as a church, as Connect Church and our mission this morning. It even impacts us here based on why I decided to hike up this mountain. It plays into that story. Because have you ever considered just how dark of a story this really is? when Abraham asked Isaac to sacrifice his son? Have you ever stopped to think, wow, God, why would you do that? Why would you tell Abraham that one day you'll have a son? Why would you make Abraham wait all this time until finally he does have the son, only to say, and now I'm gonna take that son away from you. I'm gonna test your obedience by seeing if you're willing to kill him. I mean, if the if the point of the exercise is to test the obedience of Abraham, was there not something else he could have done? I mean, think about it. There's, there's, there's dozens of things. Abraham, I don't want you to eat this certain type of food anymore. Abraham, I don't want you to eat any food for a fixed period of time. Abraham, I want you to go here. Abraham, I want you to do this. All number of things God could have asked Abraham to do in order to test just how obedient Abraham was willing to be. But the test that God gave Abraham was to see if he was obedient to the point of sacrificing his child. And I just think that sounds a little extreme. It caused me to question, God, why that? But I think maybe God is 
trying to show us something else through this story. Something else that, like I said, impacts us today as a church. Factors into why I took this hike. You see, what you need to understand is, is the culture in which Abraham found himself. So, if you know your, your Bible history, this, this is the beginning of the people of Israel. Up to this point, there was no real Jewish people, no relationship between God and his chosen people, the Old Testament calls them. Abraham was the beginning of that. God called Abraham out of his lands, and he began this relationship, this covenant relationship with Abraham, and we read it there. He said, your descendants will be like stars in the sky, grains of sand on the seashore. They'll, they'll be numerous. And still today, Jews, people of Israel, look back to Father Abraham as the beginning of their, their people group. Because that's what happened. You see, Abraham wasn't um, a follower of God. He didn't have a relationship with God. He was a, a Chaldean, a peop the people of Chaldea. So he would have been a part of this people group that worshipped many gods. They were polytheistic. They worshipped all sorts of gods. Uh, they especially worshipped the moon. That was one of the things they worshipped. And Abraham was called out of this people group to begin this brand new relationship with God that would become this brand new group of people, the Jews. God's chosen people. And not only is Abraham called out of this group, the Chaldeans, he's also living amongst people of that time, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, all sorts of old um, people groups, religions. Very many of them also worshipped other gods. And as part of their worship, some of these people believed that it was important to show their, their, their love, their worship to their gods, one of the ways they did that was they would sacrifice children. They would sacrifice their firstborn. There would be this, the sacrifice of children would take place in this culture in which Abraham found himself. I wonder if that's why Abraham was so willing to go through with this because it wasn't like God had asked him to do something that was completely out of the ordinary. This was happening all around anyway. So Abraham didn't question when God called him to sacrifice his child. But something happened that day. God called Abraham to sacrifice a child in a culture in which children were sacrificed on a regular basis. But something happened. God stopped the child's sacrifice from going ahead. Instead, he had Abraham sacrifice an animal. And in this moment, many scholars believe that God was making it clear that with his people, it would be different. With his people, child sacrifice was off the table. This was not an option. That with the people of Israel, with Abraham's descendants, child sacrifice would never, ever be acceptable. Even though it was acceptable by other people groups around, in God's kingdom, it would not be acceptable. In fact, when Moses finally introduced the law, it was clear that child sacrifice was neither commanded or even permitted. That's how much God was against this. And I think that's why God challenged Abraham in this way, not just to test his obedience, to, but also to make it clear to Abraham that day and to all of his descendants that as a God, I will never require a child to be sacrificed. And I think at this point in history, God was making it clear that children are valuable and children matter to God. 
From this point on, God was making this, this line in the sand. He was saying, as far as I'm concerned, children are important. Children are valuable. Children matter to me. And we're sat here this morning in 2022 thinking, well, that doesn't seem like too big of a stretch to believe something like that. I think that. I think children are important. I think they're valuable. But back in this time, that wasn't the case. Children weren't, had no value. Children were being sacrificed to their gods. And suddenly God changes the story. God brings about this new philosophy, this new idea that no, children are valuable and children matter to God. And this is so important that thousands of years later, this is still one of the strongest values for us here at Connect Church. We believe that children are valuable and children matter to God. In fact, as a result, we put this proportionately large amounts of our resources specifically towards Connect Kids, Connect Youth, the, the next generation, because we believe that kids are so important. We put a lot of time and energy and resources into impacting the lives of the kids in our community and here at Connect. And I believe that God used this moment in the life of Abraham on the side of this mountain to make it clear that there is a pattern that we're gonna see throughout scripture that children are important. Children are valuable, they matter to God. Hundreds of years later in the New Testament, you'll be familiar with the story that we read in Luke 2. It was the announcements of the birth of Jesus. It's the Christmas story. We've all heard it read every Christmas and we've heard that Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem and one of the first groups of people to hear about the birth of Jesus, the Son of God into this world, was the shepherds on the hillside. There were shepherds on a hillside watching their flocks at night and suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared and declared that God is sending his son Jesus. He's been born nearby in a, in a, manger, in a stable and we know that God chose to, to bring this declaration, this message to the shepherds. But what I found interesting as I was studying for this message, Luke doesn't tell us much about this, these shepherds, but we do know from history they were probably Bedouin shepherds. And listen to what one historian says about Bedouin shepherds. He says, shepherds in Israel are quite young. Boys and girls as young as 12 can have charge of an entire flock. Grown men rarely travel with the flocks. So while Luke doesn't specifically tell us this, it could be the case that when God decided to bring the most important message ever, that Jesus, his son, was born in a stable nearby, he didn't bring the message to priests or kings or people of prominence or leaders. He brought it not just to shepherds, but to children, to middle schoolers, to teenagers. These were the first people to get to hear the most important piece of news ever. And I think it's because God wanted it known that children are valuable and children matter to God. Later on in Jesus' ministry, there's another famous occasion. The disciples actually got in trouble for the way that they treated some children. Matthew 19, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them before he left. 
And yet again, we see Jesus reinforcing this value that we seem to see from Abraham and Isaac all the way through to this point in the New Testament. And that is that in the eyes of God, children are valuable. Children matter to God. You know, one of the most amazing things for me getting to travel on this, this trek was, was seeing a, a part of the world that I'd never, ever seen before, a culture that I'd never, ever seen before. I love America. I love living in America. And I love that there are so many possibilities of what we can see and do here in the United States. We can go to the, the mountains in Colorado. We can go down to the ocean in Florida. I mean, there's, there's so much to see and do across this great country. But here's the thing. Everywhere we go in America... It's still America. There's a McDonald's. There's a Walmart. It, it kind of looks the same all across America. And that's wonderful, but we miss out on something of traveling outside of America when you get to see a part of the world that looks very different, where language is different and dress is different and culture is different. And that was one of the greatest experiences for me as I arrived in Nepal was seeing a side of the world that I'd never, ever seen before. And I'm going to be honest with you, it gave me an even greater appreciation of how blessed I am to live here. Anytime I might complain about something or complain about this, that, you know, I, I realize having traveled to another part of the world, just how blessed I really am to be living in this wonderful place. When we were up in the mountains, and it's funny, a lot of people have come to me since the trip and they were like, you know, did you carry a tent? Did you stay out in tents at night? And um, it was actually, I, I wasn't expecting this, but as we made our trek from um, a place called Lukla all the way up to base camp, every night we would stay in a, an area and there were these small communities. People lived up in these mountains. This one here, this is called Namche Bazaar. This is one of the larger ones. I mean, the place is packed. Those are houses and businesses and, and lodges where trekkers stay. And as we walked into this village, I mean, there's, there's people everywhere. So we would actually stay in lodges. But as we traveled through these lodges and we would see these buildings, we got to see the children that live there. Little kids like this. And this is all they know. This is their world. Our porters, the people who helped carry our bags, some of them were teenagers. Just young people, and, and this was their life. I'm almost um, ashamed to admit that um, we, we were so fortunate in that we would trek each day in anywhere between five to 10 miles a day and up rocky terrain, you know, climbing steep slopes. So it was hard work. But all we carried in our backpack was just some water and snacks and maybe a rain jacket or something like that. Because all of the rest of our gear, our clothes, all of our other stuff was packed in a big bag, 30, 40 pound bag. And these guys would carry three or four of them. So they would make the trick that we were making ahead of time, carrying all of our gear. And in return, their wage was $20 a day. $20 a day for climbing these high trails, carrying these bags. And again, I realized how blessed we are living where we live. When we left the mountains, we traveled back to Kathmandu, and that was like whiplash, because having been up in the beauty of the mountains and just so um, remote and just very few people, we suddenly come back to this, this city in Nepal that is just packed. We climbed to the top of a hill one day and looked out, and I mean, the, the picture doesn't do it justice. As far as the eye can see, you can just see houses and apartments and buildings because the place is just congested and full of people, and, and you just walk the streets and see the level of, of poverty in this area. And you see kids, and this is the only world they know. This is their life. 
And while they look happy and while they're doing, you know, they, they seem to be doing fine, they don't realize, you know, that they're, they're in this place of, of poverty. And I think it kind of reminded me again the, the, the heartache that sometimes we feel because oftentimes it's children that suffer when there are things that happen in the world. Our hearts break, don't we? Whether it's abuse, poverty, gun violence, human trafficking, child labor, nothing is more tragic than seeing the effect these things can have on small, innocent children. And as followers of Jesus, when we remind ourselves, when we remember the fact that children are valuable and children matter to God, we want to do something about it. When we see children suffering locally or globally, we want to be a part of the solution, helping to make a difference. And that's why this message of this first mountain story with Abraham and Isaac ties in so well with my journey to the mountains. Because while it was an incredible physical experience and it stretched me physically to have to do all that hiking every day, while it was an incredibly eye-opening, just beautiful to see a side of creation that I've never seen before and just be amazed at the mountains and the beauty, the main reason I took this trip, the main reason I went on this trek was to raise money. Was to raise money and intentionally to raise money to tie in with something that we've always held near and dear here at Connect, and that was to raise money to help plant churches around the world that will specifically reach kids in need, reach children who are suffering. That's just been one of our goals since the, the very first day we began here at Connect, to plant churches and to impact the lives of children. And this money I was raising was gonna help do both because it would help plant churches in areas like Africa and South America and Asia, Nepal, India, that would not only reach children for Jesus, but help children in poverty and in need around the world. Which is why I was so thankful to God. You know, we, we heard earlier when we were talking about Abraham and Isaac that the mountain was called um, Jehovah Yireh, uh, that God provided. God provided for me on this trip. My goal had been to raise $50,000. And I was so excited because when I arrived in Nepal, I'd already hit that target. I'd already reached that goal. So the very first day of the hike with this like spotty internet there and I was just able to get enough uh, data to upload a post that I said, hey, I'm gonna up my goal to 55,000. You know, I've already hit my goal. and My trek hasn't even begun. I've got two and a half weeks of trekking. So I'm gonna up my goal to 55,000. And each day that we had some kind of connection, I would get a notification that someone else had given, someone else had given. And I slowly saw that total climb. And I'm just so excited to be back now in the States and to be able to tell you that um, as of today, I've raised $58,600. $58,600. <laughs> And that round of applause is to you and to anyone who gave and played a part in this because it made a difference. That money will change the lives of children around the world. It'll reach them for Jesus. It'll change the world in which they find themselves in. And that's not the end of the story. This is a picture. I showed a picture earlier of me at base camp. This is actually a picture of our whole team. There were nine of us all together. There were our guides and Sherpas are in that picture as well. Uh, we were actually seven guys and two ladies. It's hard to tell because we're all wearing hats and uh, hoods and everything, but two of those uh, group members are ladies. And every one of us on this trek had the same goal. We wanted to help plant churches around the world that would impact the lives of children. 
So we were all raising funds from the different churches and the different areas of the country we came from. As of earlier this week, we got an email from the person who was kind of in charge of the whole, the whole trip. And uh, she said, hey, right now I've totaled up all of your fundraising totals. And between all nine of you, you've raised $625,000 to help plant churches for kids in need. I know. It's absolutely incredible. And again, I just thank God so much that I could be a part of that. Each morning before we started on our trek, we would get together, we would pray for health and for safety and for the journey. And then we would finish off, we'd ask Lakpar, our Sherpa, what the Nepali word was for children. And uh, he said, well, it's kata kitty. So kata is little boys, kitty is little girls. So every day we would pray and then we'd always finish by saying, for the kata kitty, and then we would going our way. I got muddled up all the time. I often prayed for the kitty cats. So it's a different kind of uh, fundraising altogether. So uh, no cats have been helped through this trek, but lots of children have been helped. The cat kitty, the children around the world. And this was our motivation. This was our uh, goal as we were trekking, as we were doing this to raise money to impact the lives of children because every one of us understood that children are valuable and children matter to God. So thank you to any of you here this morning, any of you watching online who played a part, who made a donation, who, who, who gave towards this. It truly did make a difference. And thank you to any of you who have ever given here at Connect Church. Because every penny that's given goes towards helping our church, but a large part of what our church does is pour resources into Connect Kids, to Connect Youth helping organizations locally like Snack Pack that works with some of our local schools and help kids who maybe don't have enough food, give them some extra food. My sister's house that works with uh, families, uh, single moms here trying to raise children in Washington, St. Jude's, different organizations, schools that we've helped because we have such, um, we place such high value in making a difference in the lives of children here locally and globally. And if you've ever given to the trek, to our offering on a Sunday, you are making a difference in the lives of children. And I was sharing this with my friends on the hike, just how, how much I love being the pastor of a church in Washington, Illinois. Just this small little town in the middle of Illinois, insignificant Washington, Illinois. And I say, I just think it's incredible that we have these group of people that call Connect Church their church home who, because of their generosity, are impacting the lives of children globally. Who'd have thought that Washington, Illinois could make the difference in the lives of kids in South America and Nepal and Africa and, and around the world? And we may never fully understand the, the big difference that we've made. So thank you to all of you who give sacrificially of your, your finances. And thank you even more to those of you. There's, there's a very special group here this morning, some of you who don't just give uh, financially, you give your time. You serve here on a Sunday in Connect Kids. You serve in Connect Youth. As a pastor, it would be wrong to say that I have favorites, but just between me and you, you're my favorites. <laughs> Those of you who give your time to, to pour into the lives of the kids here at Connect or the teenagers here at Connect because you are making a difference in the next generation. Right now, your children, your grandchildren, your nephews and nieces are in Connect Kids and they're hearing from wonderful volunteers that God loves them, that Jesus has a plan for their lives, that they are special and unique. Because they'll go to school and they'll be on social media and they'll hear messages that go against that. 
But here, from volunteers like you, they're hearing that God loves them so much and he has a plan for their lives. And here's what I love about those of you who serve and connect kids and those of you who are here right now who will serve and connect kids at some point because you'll hear this message and think, I should serve and connect kids. It's a great place to serve. Fill out your connection card. We'll get you plugged in. Because it's not just making a difference in their lives. Your lives are changed. As you get to pour into the lives of those kids, it changes who you are. I can remember when I first became a Christian, one of the very first places I served in my home church was in the kids' area. And I gotta be honest, I think I got more out of it than the kids did. I loved it. I loved seeing God use me to impact the lives of these children. Back in the 1800s, there was a famous American evangelist. His name was Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody. Uh, if you've heard of him, you'll know that he was famous for traveling America and preaching to large crowds of people. He was an evangelist, and, and basically he, his goal in life, his mission was to find people who didn't yet know Jesus and introduce them to Jesus. And hundreds, thousands of people came to know Jesus through his preaching and his teaching. And, and a story is told of Moody that one day he returned from a crusade, and one of his friends said, hey, I know you were preaching at that crusade, how did it go? And he says, oh, it went great. Two and a half people were saved. Two and a half people gave their lives to Jesus. And, and this friend who heard Moody say that, he was a little troubled by that. And he said, now, now Mr. Moody, you know, I, I think you should know that children are, are just as important as adults and you shouldn't think of them as half a person. You know, they, they have the same value. And Moody says, oh, no, 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 you misunderstood. Two children were saved and just one adult. <laughs> Because Moody said, I believe that the adult that was saved, half their life has already been lived. But the children that were saved tonight have their entire life ahead of them. So two and a half people were saved tonight. And here at Connect, we believe that as well. That kids are important. That children are valuable. That they matter to God. And we will always look for ways, whether it's here, locally, or globally, to impact their lives for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful group of people that call Connect Church their church home. Lord, whether they realize it or not, they are part of a, a church here locally that has committed to make a difference in the lives of children. Whether it be here on a Sunday morning in our kids' programs or globally in the churches that we're helping to plant that specifically will not just reach children with the message of Jesus, but will rescue children from poverty and danger and no access to health or food or clean water. And we are intentionally helping to start churches around the world that will impact the lives of those children. So thank you, Lord, that here in Washington, Illinois, we are making a difference globally, but we are making a difference in the lives of children because we understand, Lord, that children are valuable, that children matter to you. And the day you declared to Abraham, no, your son will not die today. It was a day that you set in motion this, this narrative, this philosophy, this idea that children are valuable. They will no longer be sacrificed, but they will be cared for and looked after because they are important. So thanks, Lord, that we get to play a part in that. In Jesus' name.